Now, I want to preface this question I'm going to ask you with this statement. When I ask the question, don't start showing everybody. And the question is this, how many of you have scars? Yeah, we don't need to see them. Okay, most, most everybody said, I've got a scar of some kind or another. I've got a few scars that I have myself. I've got actually one that's up here in my eyebrow. It's hard to see it. I can move the, the stuff around, the hair around a little bit, and you can see it. It'll get harder to see as I get older and I start getting those Andy Rooney eyebrows. But um, it, it's there, and I can actually feel it underneath my eyebrow. And I want to tell you how I got this scar because it's an interesting story. I was one day uh, free climbing the Matterhorn. Sheer rock face, and I'm up there, no safety ropes or anything, and I'm just climbing to beat the band, and I'm getting near the top, and the wind starts howling, and there's sleet mixed with snow, and, and things are starting to get slippery, and, and as I'm reaching up, my hand slips, and I come careening down that face, probably went down about 12 or 15 feet before I finally grabbed with just like the tips of my fingernails, I, I grabbed onto a rock and it was enough to catch me, but I swung back into that rock face and, and a very sharp rock just kind of gashed me right here and the blood began to pour, but I, I, I continued on and I climbed. Now that story is absolutely untrue, <laughs> but it is so much more interesting than what actually happened. In reality, I was about four years old and I was at my grandparents' house and I was jumping on the furniture on the porch and I jumped at such an angle that I went through the screen and landed outside on a rock. Thus, the scar. Now, I don't know what kind of scars you have, but let me tell you, at least come up with an interesting story for it, will you? I mean, come on. We all have scars. What are scars? Scars are, are where we have healed up from something that has happened to us. And what happens is it's left a mark. It's left something there to remind us, to remind us of something significant that happened in our lives. So let me ask this question. When you believe the gospel... And when you received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, did it leave a mark? Is there some reminder from the way that you live and talk and act on a normal day-to-day basis that people would look and say, okay, something significant happened in his life or something significant happened in her life? If we believe, as we've talked about, that the gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, if we believe that when we come to Christ, that the Spirit of God fills us and empowers us and guides us into all truth, then should there not be some evidence, some mark that we've had an encounter with the gospel? I'd like us to really give that some consideration this morning because the gospel is not merely about receiving Jesus, although it is. The gospel is not merely about having a heavenly home waiting for us when we die, although it is. And those two things are significant. The gospel is also about a daily walk with this Jesus Christ 
whom we claim as Savior and Lord. A daily walk which makes our lives look a little bit different from the lives of everybody else around us. We're not floating along like a leaf in whatever the cultural norms are supposed to be. We're different. And that difference makes a difference. If there is no difference, then we're going to have a hard time making a difference in anyone else's life. But when they can look at us, and we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and they can look at us, and they say when they see us, okay, there's something different about that guy. There's something different about that girl. They don't react in the same way. They don't respond in the same way. They don't talk like the rest of us talk. They don't act like the rest of us act. It is significant. It makes a difference. We begin to stand out from the crowd. The good news, the gospel makes a difference, not just in eternity and not just on the cross, but it makes a difference in our daily lives. You see, the gospel didn't end when Jesus was resurrected and ascended into heaven. The good news is the gospel is lived daily by people who have embraced it and been embraced by it. And so here's what I want to ask you to do is to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. There's just one verse there, Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at that one verse and we're going to kind of uh, we want to drive a stake in the ground right here. And the reason I'm asking you to look it up, even though it's on the screen, the reason I'm asking you to look it up is because we're going to refer back to this. And you may, make, you may want to make this one of those verses that is significant in your life. You may even want to go so far as to say, I'd like to memorize this verse. I'd like to hide it in my heart. Because it is a very powerful verse for us today as we consider living out the gospel. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, and it says this, for by one sacrifice, he that is Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Listen to that. Now, actually, would you read it with me? Read this with me. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Look at this. For by one sacrifice, he has made us perfect. By one sacrifice, he has made us perfect. What does that mean? Well, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this verse, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, there's this great exchange that takes place by faith. Jesus takes our sin. He who had no sin, Jesus living a perfect, sinless life on this earth, the only person that's ever done that. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Where did that sin come from? It came from us. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin by taking our sin. And, and what is the result for us so that we might become the righteousness of God? There's this great exchange where Jesus takes our sin and we get his righteousness. I don't care what kind of Black Friday deal you stumble across, it won't be that good. This is the ultimate. This is the pinnacle. All your sin for his righteousness. God, you see, by one sacrifice of his son Jesus, has made us perfect. Is that what you saw when you looked in the mirror this morning? Did you get up and go, you know, that's perfect? No. No, what happened was... You were halfway through straightening your hair, and the straightener gave out. And then you responded, well, isn't that perfect? (laughs) Isn't it great that God sees us differently than we see ourselves? Sometimes he's just got to laugh at us for how we see ourselves because he is looking at us in Christ. In Christ. And in Christ, he has made us past tense, perfect. That is our standing in Jesus Christ because we have exchanged our sin for his righteousness by faith. Now, folks, we could pack it up and go to lunch and celebrate, but you're not going to go anywhere because I got more. We haven't even finished with this verse. It says he is made perfect forever. He is made perfect forever. First Thessalonians 4, 7 says, And so we will be with the Lord forever. In the King James, so we will ever be with the Lord. Ever be forever. It's the same thing. This is not a temporary work. This is not something that has an expiration date. You know, you, uh, the other day I went to the store. I got a gallon of milk. And by the time we got around to open it, it had already expired. Nancy drank it anyway, but that's okay. She goes by the smell test. I go by the date, okay? Totally different deal. I'm so glad there's no expiration date on my salvation. What God has done for me is forever. He has made me perfect forever. Now, I don't want you to miss this because this last part, you're going to read it and go, wait a minute. Does that contradict the first part? For by one sacrifice, he's made us perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. Well, hang on. I thought he'd already done that. I thought, I thought I was already holy because I'm perfect and that should fit together. What does this mean that he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy? There's a 10 cent theological word that I'll toss out to you that you may have heard and not understood. And that word is sanctification. Okay, what does that mean? It means being made holy. Here's the deal. 
Your standing in Jesus Christ is secure if you're in Christ. That never changes. Ever changes. It is forever. You've been made perfect forever. Okay? But living life on this earth is a process of sanctification. It is a journey as God chips away things in our lives that are unlike Christ and adds to our lives things that are more like Christ. That is why in our vision statement, we say that that we want to be a place where people believe in Jesus Christ and grow in their belief, where they're connected uh, to other believers in grace groups and small groups, and where they become more like Jesus daily in attitude and action. So here's the deal. When God looks at you, When God looks at you in Christ, you're perfect in Christ forever. But God realizes that while you're in this flesh, there's a lot of chipping and pruning that needs to be done. And God's in the business of chipping and pruning and making you more like Jesus daily in attitude and action. And why is that significant? It's significant because nobody is going to believe that you're perfect in Christ unless they're seeing that you're being made perfect in Christ. Is that significant? I mean, you can, you can shout all day long, hey, I'm perfect in Jesus. But if instead of growing more like Jesus in attitude and action every single day, you're looking a little bit more like Beelzebub, people are going to believe what they see and not what they hear. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read, For we are God's handiwork, His workmanship, his masterpiece in progress, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. The prophet Jeremiah saw the potter working with clay, molding it and shaping it. We are God's pottery on the wheel. That lump of clay that he is molding and shaping. And sometimes if it gets out of balance, he has to smush it all down and start all over again. We're God's painting. I don't know. I I, I love art. Uh, Jackie inherited that love of art. She and I could go hang around at the Smithsonian for days on end. Just fly us in some peanut butter and jelly. We'll be fine. Love it. But you see, the artist starts with a blank canvas and all these paints. But he has a vision of what that masterpiece is going to be. Michelangelo starts with a huge slab of marble, hammers and chisels. What looks to someone else like a big slab of marble He sees David, and he begins to carve and chip away. And God is doing that in your life. That's what it means to to being, to being made holy. That's what God is doing in you because you are his handiwork. You are his masterpiece in progress. You see, we're saved by the finished work of Jesus. And we have a home forever in heaven that we'll go to at some point in the future. But right now we're a people in progress. We're under construction. God is working on us and God is working in us. 
to make us more like his son. And that's why Paul could write to the church at Philippi, Therefore, my dear brothers, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. What do do we see here? This does not say continue to work for your salvation. Why? Because we already have that. If you're in Christ, you already have your salvation. You're not working for your salvation. You're working out your salvation. You're living it out. You're pouring it out. You're, you're showing it each and every day. Work out your salvation. This is this process. Now, you're not on your own because as you're working out your salvation, what's God doing? God is working in you. This is cool. You see how all this ties together? You've been made perfect forever, and yet God is making you holy day by day. He's working in you, and you're working out your salvation, and the people around you get to see it. We get to show the power of the gospel by how we live. One of the reasons that the church has so little impact in our culture is because when people look at the church and they look at the world, we look an awful lot the same. Because you just don't see a lot of difference. You go, well, pastor, that can't be true. Actually, it is. One of the big Christian surveyors is, uh, is George Barna, and he has the Barna Group, and they do a lot of surveying of, of all kinds of different things. But one of the things he's discovered is the attitudes and actions in the church and the attitudes and actions in the world aren't all that different. And if the only difference between you and your unsaved neighbor is that your car is missing on Sunday morning from your driveway, you're not going to have a lot of impact. People are going to believe what they see, not what they hear. If you want to talk to them about the power of the gospel, how are they going to believe it unless they see it? So this morning, I want to help us to get started on that. And this is just our start on this, okay? How do we get started in this? In order to live differently, in order to live out the gospel, we have to know who we are. That's the first step. You have to know who you are if you're going to live out the gospel. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a little story, a little parable that you may have heard before, but it, I think it's worth listening to. If you haven't heard it, if you have heard it, don't, don't lean over and go, hey, I heard this one already. It's a, it's a parable of the, of the chickens and the eagle. It seems that there was a, a farmer who was, uh, who was out just kind of on the edges of his property, just riding the horse, and he, 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 he stopped and he looked down and he saw this little eaglet that had evidently fallen out of a nest, but it was still alive. And so he picked up this little, little baby eagle, and he, he, he was very gentle with it, and he brings it up, and he, he rides on back to his farm. The thing is, just, is hanging on to life. It's still alive, and he decides, what can I do with this? I'm, I'm going to stick it with the new... I want to stick it with the new little chicks, these, these little biddies here. I, I want to put this in with the chickens and see if somehow it might survive. And lo and behold, it did. And this eagle grew up with these chickens. And as it grew up, it, it did exactly what the chickens did. Scratched and pecked, ate chicken food, always looking down at the ground, pecking at something. One day... 
as all the chickens are out, and now this eagle's about full grown, they're all out in the, in the barnyard, and a shadow comes across, and they all look up. And high up in the sky, soaring on the winds, is this majestic bird just soaring. They didn't even have to flap. Huge, majestic. And they look up, and they're marveling at it, and the, and the little chicken eagle turns to his chicken friends and he says, uh, what is that? And they said, well, that's an eagle. Isn't it beautiful? Look how it just sails through the sky. And the little eagle chicken goes, that is beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I wish I could do that. And all the chickens laughed and laughed and laughed. You know the way chickens laugh. And when one of them calmed down enough that it could finally communicate, it said, oh, you can't do that. You're just a chicken like us. And so the eagle resumes scratching and pecking with the best of them. Now, what's that little story all about? It's not just to tell you a cute little story. It's just that so many of us are living like chickens scratching and pecking when God has called us to soar on wings like eagles. And until we know who we are, we will never be able to mount up on wings like eagles. We will never be able to live the life that God has called us to live. And so for just the next few minutes, I want to share with you just a small, small, very small portion of what the Bible says about who you are in Christ. And remember, this is in Christ. If you're not in Christ, this ain't you. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that in Jesus, you're called God's child. In Jesus, you are God's child. 1 John 1, 3, 3, 1, excuse me. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Children of God. You got to wake up every morning and look at that mug in the mirror and remind yourself, I am a child of God. I look like I've been run over by a steamroller. I look like I have been dragged behind a pickup truck. But I am a child of God. That's who you are. If you're in Christ. And our actions, whether good and bad, do not change our spiritual status in Christ. Our actions, whether good or bad, never change our spiritual status in Christ. That's so significant. Listen, parents, have your children ever disappointed you and disobeyed you? If you're saying no, then there's another verse in 1 John we need to talk about. It has to do with lying. Anyway. Yes, but do they stop being your children? No, because they're yours. 
They were born to you or in some cases adopted into your family, but they are yours and they will never, never, ever, ever, ever stop being yours. If you are born again, if you are in Christ, then you are God's child and nothing and no one can change that. Okay, second, th- second thing you need to know. In, in Jesus, you are secure. In Jesus, you are secure. John 10, 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I give them eternal life and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In Jesus, you are secure. Our actions, whether good or bad, do not make us more or less saved. You did nothing to earn your salvation. As a matter of fact, the only thing that you brought to your salvation was the sin that made it necessary. That's, I mean, what else did you have? You brought your sin. You received salvation. It was a free gift. There's nothing that you can do that, that anyone can snatch you out of God's hand or that you'll lose what you have. You are secure in Christ. Now, let me tell you what. If you know you're secure in Christ, that gives you a lot of confidence to live the day. I'm not walking right on the edge and I could fall over. I'm not going to do something or say something and God goes, well, that was stupid. Why did I ever save you? Get out of here. It's not happening. If you're in Christ, you're secure. Third, in Jesus, you are more than a conqueror. Listen to this now. You are more than a conqueror. So what what have we got so far? I am a child of God. I am secure in my standing in Jesus Christ. And I am more than a conqueror. This is what Paul writes in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, being a hyper-conqueror, a super-conqueror, more than a conqueror, does not mean you'll never have problems, you'll never have troubles, and you'll never have pains. It simply means this. We can lose, but we will never be losers for our victory was secured in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ you cannot be a loser you can lose you can suffer you can have pain you can disappoint God but you are never ever ever a loser not in God's eyes you got to get this Maybe in your life you've had people that have called you that. You're a loser. You're you're not worth anything. You're garbage. If you're in Christ, no. That's not what God says about you. God says you are more than a conqueror. You're not a loser. Because you share in the victory of Jesus So quit seeing a victim in the mirror and start seeing someone who has victory. 
And finally, and again, we're scratching the surface. In Jesus, you are empowered. Now, here I am. I am secure. I am more than a conqueror. And now I'm discovering that I am empowered. What does that mean? 2 Timothy 1.7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. What God has put in us has given us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, I, I can't tell you what your future holds. If I could do that, I'd be a wealthy man right now playing the stock market and betting on NFL football. Well, no, I, I'm a pastor. I'd never do that. Okay. I can't tell you what the future holds, but you know what? God knows. There's absolutely nothing that happens that takes God by surprise. I mean, it's, and it's not like God's smug about that. It's not like God's sitting up there in heaven and, you know, this deer runs out and careens into the side of your car and God's sitting there going, I knew it was going to happen. Yeah, I did. I knew that. God didn't need to do that. He doesn't need to feed his ego in that way. But he knows everything that's going to happen. Now, why is that significant for you living your Christian life as you go through day to day? Because you don't. God does. And I'm firmly convinced that God is using everything in your life, including his revelation, up to this point to prepare you for what's next. You don't know about it, but God does. And so God is working. Remember, God's working in you, right? To will and to act according to his good purpose. He is making you holy. And so God is, is working in this. He's, he's focused on you. He's zeroed in on you. I don't know how he does it. I, occasionally, I'll, I'll paint a picture. I enjoy doing that. It gets me, you know, it takes me in my own little world. But when I'm doing that, I'm focused on that picture. I've got, I've got music playing in the background, but my focus is on that picture. I'm zeroed in on that picture. I'm fully concentrating on that next brush stroke, that next mix of color. I'm fully focused on that. Now, you need to remember, God is fully focused on you. Now, how he can be fully focused on you and fully focused on me and fully focused on everybody else, I don't know, but he is. Because you're his workmanship. God would not be a very good craftsman if he's, you know, doing stuff over here. And he, he is the ultimate multitasker. And yet he can do what our minds can't do. He can focus on you and you and you and you and you as if you were the only person around and get it exactly right. So God is doing this and, and he's empowered you to live this life. He's prepared you to live this life. And it says three things here uh, that we're told that God's Spirit especially does for us. Um, you have the power to face whatever comes your way because, had God, because God has infinite strength to supply your need. And so you wake up and you go, boy, I don't feel like I, can, I can't face this day. I am too weak to face what's coming over the horizon. I, I just don't have the stamina. I just don't have the power. And God says, that's okay, I do. There's a difference in waking up and going, okay, I've got this. And waking up and going, God, I don't got this. But knowing that he does. That he can carry you through whatever it is. He has the power. And he places it in you. And, and listen, we're not talking about a pack of firecrackers here. 
We're talking about the power to speak and bring worlds and stars into existence. And that same God lives in you. And so you have the power to face whatever is going to come your way, not because you're strong enough, because God is. You, you can love even when you don't feel like it because God is love and God is in you. Are there any people in your life that are hard to love? Sure there are. And it seems like those are the people it gets harder to love them every day. They make it hard. And you just look at them and you go, oh, I, don't, I, I can't love that one. And you're right. You can't. But God is love and God lives in you. So what you can't do, he can do. And you can resist whatever temptation comes your way. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God gives you the self-discipline, the self-control to say yes to the things that he's calling you to and no to the things that he's calling you away from. God gives you that power, that power of self-control because his spirit lives in you. You see, the gospel is not just about you getting saved and you going to heaven. The gospel is about daily walking with the risen Savior. It's about becoming more like Jesus every single day in your attitude and your actions. It's about living in such a way that people will know that the gospel is true. Do you validate the gospel or do you invalidate it? Do you validate the gospel by your life or do you invalidate it? You see, you can live as a chicken if you choose to. And if you, if you live as a chicken, there will be plenty of people that are more than willing to help you foster that illusion. There will be people who will tell you that it's easier to live a chicken's life. There will be people who tell you, you need to compromise and just be like one of us. There will be people that tell you, listen, you better hang out here in your comfort zone. You don't want to risk that. You don't want to chance that. You want to put yourself on the line. There'll be plenty of chickens that say, hey, come be like us. But if you're in Christ, you're not a chicken. You're an eagle. You were made to soar through the power of God's Spirit. And until you know who you are, you'll never live the life God intended you to live. If you are in Jesus, you are God's child. If you are in Jesus, then you are secure in your spiritual standing in Christ. If you are in Jesus, you are not a victim, but you share the victory of Jesus. If you are in Jesus, then you are empowered to live a life that is set apart for a purpose. Do you know who you are? If we want people to believe this gospel message, then we have to be faithful to share it with our words, but also to live it with our lives. And we can only do that if we know who we are in Jesus.